the best in the world. I've been the best ever since day one on this microphone, in that ring, even in commentary. And trust me when I tell you, I am the hottest property in this industry today. Nobody can touch me. The only thing that's real is me, day in and day out. I am the best in the world. Do I have everybody's attention now? people welcome to another edition of the saucy thoughts of donnie oo podcast featuring the one and only donnie oo best in the world of what he does this week i'm in such a great mood the knicks are tied 1-1 in their first round matchup the mets keeping their head above waters while damn near their whole roster is broken down and injured. And my firstborn daughter is approaching womanhood and about to turn 21. So, yeah, Donnie's in a decent mood this week. Donnie's in a great mood this week. Gotta try to figure out how long he's gonna stay in this mood. Well, with all that out the way, what's on tap this week? Well, of course, I'm going to be talking about the NBA playoffs. And I'm going to unveil a new segment to the world-renowned, hardly ever listened to podcast. Specifically for the NBA playoffs. Each week, I will have a segment called What's on Tap? Nah. Plenty of people do that. I'll have a temp I'll have a segment called Eh. Is it too late to change my pick? Yeah, that's gonna be the name of the segment. Is it too late to change my pick? Because after the first two games of each series, the highs and lows, the ebbs and flows of each series, psh, I can tell you. Personally, when it comes to the Knicks-Hawks series, there's been numerous times throughout each game that I was contemplating on changing my pick. So yeah, that's what we're going to unveil this week on the Donnie U podcast. Is it too late to change my pick? And uh, figure out what else we're going to get into. So it's probably going to be a short one this week, but being the fact it's Memorial Day weekend, who knows what Donnie might be able to get himself into. And let's get this shit on the way. Let's get this shit on the road. And, uh, yeah. So, without further ado, good night. And goodbye. Bang. First things first. I'm going to get into and talk about the series that is close and near and dear to my heart, which is the New York Knicks versus the Atlanta Hawks. As I said in the intro, 
We're currently tied, one game apiece. I was gonna give a little recap of game one, but no need. I am gonna talk about last night's, well, should I say Wednesday night's game, in which the Knicks came out and just to let you know a little bit of the backstory of my viewing experience, and I probably shouldn't say this, but whatever. I was at my shoe job, and I was tuned in. Cause I'm like, yo, I can't listen to this on the radio. I'm not one of those fans that'll DVR shit and try to duck and dodge the results until I get home. Because, as I've mentioned time and time again, Donnie has a case of ADD. So, I multitask to a fault. And just by me browsing on numerous platforms and all that other bullshit, I know I would have found out before I actually had a chance to watch the game. So, I said, fuck it. I'm going to watch this shit now. And... I want to say about 10 minutes into my viewing pleasure, turned into viewing angst. <sighs> Where should I begin? And it's so ironic the fact that I'm in a good mood, but recapping what happened in game two is going to put me back into an ordinary mood. But anyway. Julius Randle in the first half had a total of two points and zero makes from the field. I believe he was 0 for 6. He did have seven rebounds and he did play exceptional defense. Do you know who our saving grace was in the first half? And I can't believe that he can actually be classified as this, but old faithful, Derrick Rose. Derrick Rose, I believe, scored 20 points, 21 points in the first half. He played out of 24 minutes. I believe he played 20 minutes of the 24 minutes in the first half. And if it wasn't for Derrick Rose, the 13-point deficit that we had in the first half, what should I say, at halftime, probably would have been more about 25-30. Trey Young, I'll get into him later. The Knicks in the first half resembled, in reality, what they are. They are a collection of misfit pieces that came together over the season as a whole to make the sum of their parts greater than any individual player that they have on their roster, Randall included. And what we have seen so far in the two games of the series being the fact that Randall, after averaging 38 a game, 38 points per game against these same Atlanta Hawks has only scored 30 points 
total in the two games. Yet, we're tied 1-1. But I've also discovered about this team so far in the playoffs. People tend to forget that the majority of this regular season, even though it wasn't played in a bubble, such as last season in Disney, the large majority of this season, these games were played with zero fans. Or if they did have fans, the fans that were in attendance, or should I say the people that were in attendance, were mostly friends and family of the teams that was involved. Then toward the, I want to say toward the last quarter of the season, in New York, they started allowing 10% of the capacity, which pretty much equaled out to about 1,500 to 2,000 fans. And even that small amount of fans made an impact in the regular season. Now you fast forward to game one and game two, and being the fact that I'm in New York, and I know the intricacies about what's going on with the capacity things, they went from 1,500 fans to 16,000 fans. It was a culture shock because this next team, the majority of this team, and I, off the top of the head, I want to say Derrick Rose, Taj Gibson, and I believe Alec Burks are the only players on the team that have any type of playoff experience. That's number one. High pressure playoff experience, we can narrow that three down to two. Derrick Rose and Taj Gibson. And who were the players that were pivotal in gaining us this well, well, I should say, much needed victory? Derrick Rose and Taj Gibson. Everybody else was playing like a deer in the headlights. Either they were scared or we go swing on the other side of the pendulum to trying too hard because they, um, their emotions were ramped up by the atmosphere that was in MSG. So like I said, Derrick Rose held us down for the first half. Second half, combination of defense, a combination of Julius Randle, concentrating on defense and rebounding and not pressing so hard to be the player that he was in the regular season and everything started coming together. We opened the second half on a 30 to 8 run. I didn't stutter for once. 3-0, 30 to eight run. Trey Young did drop 30 points, but by the time he was brought back into the game by his head coach, Horse was at the barn. 
I believe he left the game. They were up by 11. No, they were up by 12, 70 to 58. When he returned to the game, the Atlanta Hawks were down by 13. Now, in quick succession, when he did re-enter the game, he chopped. they chopped the 10-point lead down to two and eventually tied it. And then it was pretty much a roar of attrition. Atlanta is not going to win any game in this series when you have two players go combined, I believe, three for 20 from downtown, and that's not including Trey Young. You had Gallinari one for nine, and you had um, Bogdanovich, I believe he was two for two for 11, two for 13, something to that effect. A lot of those misses, they were wide open. And that's a key concern for the Knicks. You cannot count on allowing so many open jump shots, open threes, and just hoping that they're going to miss. I believe the crowd affected the Atlanta Hawks, especially in that second half, especially when we went, when we went on that three, um, 30, to, 30 to 8 run. Obi Toppin, there was an Obi Toppin sighting. He got into the festivities with a beautiful alley-oop that gave us the lead pretty much and put us over the top. It was a beautiful thing. It was a beautiful thing. I mean, I not I'm not even going front. Tears actually came to my eyes. At the conclusion of the game, when I saw the aftermath, when I saw the mass amount of people exiting the MSG, it had been so long. Not even the 2013 season have I felt that way. I haven't had that feeling of just pure euphoria in about 25 years. Damn near. Matter of fact, 1999 to be exact, when we got to the finals, that's the last time that I had that feeling of pure euphoria when it came to the New York Knicks for a playoff game. And it was a beautiful thing. You know what's not going to be a beautiful thing? It's not going to be a beautiful thing if Julius Randle does not step up to the occasion. I'm recording this segment precious minutes before the start of game three. And at the end of this podcast, you will receive the first notification of whether or not the Knicks won game three. But it comes down to Julius Randle stepping up. Hopefully... Now, there was news that broke right before tip-off. Well, should I say information that I gathered right before tip-off concerning the crowd capacity in Atlanta. The crowd capacity in Atlanta is 92%. So, pretty much, they're talking about packing 15,000 people in the State Farm Arena. Now, 
I'm going to go on a tangent because I start talking about Atlanta. Now, you got this dude, Kevin Herter, whatever the fuck his name is, talking about, yeah, you know, yeah, what's kind of loud in MSG, but, you know, come down to the A and, you know, we got a home field event, home court advantage down here, too. And uh, maybe this would be a way for us to flip the script and shower them with all of the obscenities and crowd chants and just energy in the building. Let's just flip the script on them. First of all, Mr. Herder, Huda, whatever the hell of your name is, you don't get to talk at all. The only person I want to hear from when it comes to your team, concerning about anything about the New York Knicks, concerning anything about New York, concerning anything about this series, is your quote-unquote best player, Trey Young. Trey Young is the only motherfucker that has any right to talk when it comes to Atlanta Hawks, simply because of the fact, unfortunately, during game two, and it was found out almost instantaneously after game two that Trey Young was actually spit on, spit upon from a crowd participant in New York. Now, they found it on video. They actually slowed down, or should I say, they broke it down in freeze frames where you can see the spittle, matter of fact, it wasn't even spittle. It was spit. Landed right in front of 50 Cent's escort to the game. And Trey Young did not notice it at the time until he saw it on video. Now, this is where boundaries have to come in play. Now, there was discussion on various talk shows over the last couple of days about the obscenities that were coming out of people's mouths in Madison Square Garden, the fuck Trey Young chants, and saying, well, New York is better than that. No, the fuck we ain't. We are better than spitting on people. We are better than Philly and throwing popcorn on Russell Westbrook. Who's about to turn into second coming of Ron Artest out that mother effer. We're better than the Utah Jazz fans who hurled racist epaulets at John Moran's family. Dare I say we're much better than the Boston fans who Kyrie mentioned in the press conference after game two concerning his return to Boston, which I will get into later on in this podcast. But bringing it all back full circle, Trey Young, averaging 30, 30, 30 points a game in the first two games of the series. 32, I mean, I believe it's 30 points a game and about nine and a half assists. The assist part is what? the Knicks really have to concern themselves with. Like I've said in the past, you want Trey to drop 40, drop 50, shoot from 30 30 feet, 
shoot from the logo, do all that. But make sure that Gallinari doesn't get off because you don't think there's some underlying tension and Gallinari trying to show the Knicks what they passed up over 10 years ago. Got to make sure that Bogdanovich don't get off. You got to make sure Hunter don't get off. You got to make sure that Collins don't get off. You got to make sure that Capella is a non-factor. That's what the Knicks have to concentrate on. Let Trey Young do whatever the hell he wants to do in the amount of points that he scores. But do not allow him to facilitate to the rest of the team and get everybody else feeling confident because got to realize got to think of it like this. We have, hopefully, we have two and a half scores. We have Randall, we have Rose, and we have Burks. Burks is kind of interchangeable, meaning he had a, I wouldn't say an off game, but he had a quiet game in game two. Bullock stepped up in his place. So that's why I call him, that's why I count him as a half. So pretty much between Burks, Quickly and Bullock, they have to comprise our big three, which is a big 15, but nevertheless. And I believe if we can do that. Now, of course, you want to be greedy, get both games in Atlanta, which I believe we are capable of doing. But if we can get a split, get the home court back on our side, we got Two more games at MSG. And trust and believe, if we go back to New York up 3-1, or even if we go back to New York tied 2-2, the Hawks are going to feel that pressure. It's essential for us to get a split. And like I said, at the end of this podcast, you'll know whether I was right or not. You'll know whether the Hawks are up 2-1 or the Knicks are up 2-1. And you'll probably know just for the fact of hearing my voice. So if my voice is... Hey, what's going on? How's everybody? Yeah, the New York Knicks won. Then you know everything was fine and dandy. But if I'm like, don't you know these mother... Then you know the Knicks done fucked up. Now we're going to get into the Kyrie Irving situation and the gentrification nets. As I mentioned before, the gentrification nets are currently up. Two games to zero against the Boston Celtics. The series shift back to Boston. And Kyrie Irving made a point to mention in his post-game press conference after game two of how, when he was asked, how did he believe he was going to be received on his return back to Boston? He said, look, you know, I, 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 I just... I really hope that uh, whatever they say, they keep it cordial, they keep it unracial. Because, you know, the reputation of Boston, and I played in the Boston side, I know what I'm talking about. Boston fans in that arena, they get real loose with throwing around racial insults. Primarily the N-word. Sometimes the M-word. 
people are trying to figure out what what the hell is the M word? Monkey? Yeah. I mean, we have evidence from various different sports about how Boston fans get down. Now, normally, it's all fun and jokes when it comes to talking about Kyrie Irving. But on this topic, I will say this. Strategically, I believe that was a great chess move. Because if Kyrie Irving mentions that and brings that into the forefront of people's minds, maybe, just maybe, that individual that's sitting in, what, TD Garden? Maybe that individual that is about to let that N-word roll off his, roll off his mouth, maybe he would reconsider. Maybe... Being the fact that the spotlight is going to be so focused on what's go what potentially might happen in Boston. That surrounding patrons will look or let's say they hear something. Yo, yo, yo. Nah, chill, man. Yo, what the fuck are you doing? Nah, that's not how we get down. Even though damn well, that's exactly how they get down. Just maybe. But. For those who believe that anything that the Boston crowd might conjure up is going to actually affect Kyrie Irving, y'all don't realize this man is a space cadet? Do you really believe that the way he moves and the way he lives his life, do you believe that anything that's going to come out a patron's mouth is going to affect the way he plays, affect the way he prepares for this game? I don't think so. And when the other two-thirds of the big three see that uh, Kyrie is unfazed and or they hear what's going on, they're experiencing what's going on, but they see that Kyrie's unfazed. You don't think that's going to be a galvanizing thing for the team to support their brother and brother Kyrie? It was a it was a brilliant chess move. It's all, it was almost similar. It was almost similar to a coach talking to the media before a pivotal game in a playoff series about the officiating. Just putting that bug out there. And then, miraculously, when the game comes to start, the more aggressive team that normally would get called for numerous fouls get called for hardly anything because that seed was planted. I really, Like I said, as many... There's many things that I could disagree with Kyrie Irving on. I could disagree with his motives in going to Brooklyn instead of the Knicks. I could disagree with how he perceives his obligation to the media. There's a lot of things I could 
get on him about. This is not one of them. And as much as I really want to clown him, this ain't the time. I'm not even going to talk about the game because it's always a foregone conclusion. Being, especially being the fact that Milwaukee's up three zip against the against the Heat. That uh, it's going to be the Milwaukee Bucks and the gentrification next in the in the second round. So I ain't going to talk about the game. I don't even think. I don't even think Boston is going to win a game. I believe they're going to have two sweeps. It's going to have Boston getting swept four games to zip, and Milwaukee sweeping the Heat four games to zip. And I will get that much closer to at least half of my prediction. Hmm. If y'all if y'all couldn't tell by now, it's fucking raining cats and dogs. But it brings a little ambiance to this recording. You know, so. But yeah. Kyrie Irving. He didn't go to do for nothing. That's one smart brother. Okay. Now for the world premiere of the new segment I'm debuting. Can I change my pick? What the hell I was thinking? Can I change my pick? And this week's recipient of the What the Hell I Was Thinking Can I Change My Pick Award should be twofold, but I'm going to give one team the benefit of the doubt. So, the team in question on what the hell I was thinking would be the Portland Trailblazers. Yes, my NBA Finals pick. Go figure. Portland currently twirls two games to one versus Denver. It's not really the deficit that they're facing at this time that has me rethinking my pick. It's not th- it's not anything Dame Lillard has done. It's not anything CJ has done. It damn sure ain't anything that Melo's done. What it boils down to is the coaching. Yes, I said it. The coaching. Last night in the second half, Mello was hot. Mello, I believe, scored at least 14 points of his 16 to 18 in the second half. He kept them in the game and he was reliable. But yet, at crunch time, Terry Stotts did not have Carmelo Anthony in the game. It's not like he was a detriment on defense. It's not like he was cold that game. The problem with Portland all these years have been twofold. First and foremost, they do not believe in defense whatsoever. And unfortunately, that still seems to be the case. The other problem that they've had over the last couple years, specifically the Dame Lillard years, has been the fact that they just needed another go-to player. CJ can be that player at most times when Dame is either off or he's being aggressively guarded. That was the whole point 
of picking up Carmelo Anthony. That was the whole point of Dame and CJ recruiting repeatedly, offseason after offseason after offseason, since he made his exodus from New York to come to Portland because they felt that as him being the third option on that team, that they can make good, well, not good noise, they can make some loud noise in the West. Now, even though this has happened, this happened around a trade deadline, I believe, the trade um, for Powell that they gave away Trent, at the time, people raved about that trade because Powell was such a good player with Toronto. But what people, to me, fail to realize, there's no pressure in Toronto. Yes, they want a chip, but there's never been any pressure in Toronto. He had Lowry. He had Kawhi for that one season. He had Siakam, who's up and down and just hasn't been able to uh, take that next step since that breakout NBA Finals series. Powell is a decent player. Gary Trent is a good player. Now, defensively, yes, Powell is better than Trent. But I just felt that the cohesion that that team had, the DNA that the team had, building off last year into this year, yes, they struggled at the beginning of the season, but Trent was possibly... Their third, yeah, their third option when Melo wasn't on. And I believe he was trending in the right direction. By them trading and pulling the trigger on Powell, I believe it's rearing his ugly head right now in this series. Size-wise, yes, Powell has the advantage over Trent. But once again, even though I went on a tangent, Portland will never get to an NBA Finals as long as Terry Stotts is the head coach. I'm sorry. He's been there for almost a decade, I believe. And uh yeah, they've gotten to they've gotten to the Western Conference Finals on two occasions, but it was never in doubt that they were going to go home at the end of that series. They were never going to advance to the finals. So, that's my long-winded explanation on why in the hell did I pick Portland to get out the West? And can I change my pick, please? And for those who are asking, well, who would you want to change your pick to? Now, I did say in the half-ass NBA preview, NBA playoffs preview, that, um, my gut was telling me that the Lakers were coming out the West. And being the fact that the Lakers now hold, some would think, a commanding 2-1 lead against Phoenix. And they've discovered a game plan that will, I believe, will hold up for the duration of this series. So I believe they are advancing over Phoenix. I don't think it's going past six games. If it gets to six games. Chris Paul is clearly hobbled. And the rest of the team, while as hard as they may try, experience means a lot. And you're going against 
the defending NBA champions. And they have a distinctive size advantage on Phoenix. You have Drummond. You have AD. You have LeBron. You have Gasol. And all of them, they're just dominating the paint. Dominating the paint. So, it's killing me to say this. Because I really don't want to. I guess I'll, the pick I'll change would be um, you can take Portland out of that finals and you can insert the Los Angeles Lakers into the finals. So, yeah, that's my debut for this for this new segment. Tell me how you feel. Yeah, it was a little clunky, but, hey, you know, it's a work in progress. Should I go into the NBA finals to finally get this shit tinkered out? So, yeah. I changed my pick. Now, back to my mother effing New York Knicks. As you can tell, there's been a stark change in my mood. The Knicks currently are down two games to one against these Freaking Atlanta Hawks. Julius Randle has once again come up very small, minute I may say, when the light has shined the brightest. Julius Randle, for those who don't know, is currently shooting 23% for the first three games of the series. Tonight, he had an abominable game. I believe he was 2 for 15 with nine boards and two assists. And it was actually worse than that. It seems like Randall has completely abandoned Every improved aspect of his game. He's back doing that fucking spin into the lane and getting the ball stripped. He's back into settling for turnaround fadeaway jumpers that are missing left consistently. The one thing he is doing correctly on the offensive end to a fault is still passing the ball. He's not, at the times that he's not forcing, just just going bulldozing into the lane, and then as soon as he gets into the paint, he does a little spin move. That's fucking predictable now. He's always spinning to his left. He's always dribbling to his left. And if he's going to pull up, he's going to make a move. Guess where? To his left. When you go against a playoff-tested head coach in the playoffs, what separates the good players from the stars to the superstars to the also-rans is the fact that you have multi, multi-facets of your game. You have multiple pieces in your bag that you can choose from. 
And what's being exposed is, as well as he was in the regular season, when it when everything when it boils down to the nitty gritty, he's not confident in the new Randall. He goes back to Old Faithful, and Old Faithful was gonna get you shipped out of New York begin at the beginning of the fucking season. And Old Faithful is costing yourself a lot of fucking money in this offseason. So let's get to the fucking point of where I was going at. The question was going to be. Do you want to re-sign Julius Randle to an extension and then just concentrate on adding a piece to go along with him? And... Right now, after three games in the NBA playoffs, that answer is looking like, hell no. Not at all. I appreciate everything he's done for this franchise this season. Everything. I appreciate him being the leader that this team needed for this season. If this team is expected to take steps, incremental steps, or incremental steps, season after season, to get, progressively get better. And it's one thing to go from averaging, let's say, well, his average, 24 and 10, in a regular season to, let's say, 20 and 7. It's another thing altogether to go from 24, to 10, 24 and 10 to what? 15 and 8? That's a 10 point drop. On a team that's offensively challenged as is. D. Rose played damn near 40 minutes again. And guess how much he dropped? 30 plus. And here's the damning, damning statement about What's going on in this series when it comes to the Knicks? Especially game three. If D. Rose does not play damn near 40 minutes and does not drop 30 plus, we lose about 25 to 30. We, the whole second half, we hovered between that being down 16 between 10 to 16 points the whole second half D Rose was in with less than a minute to play and we lost 9 10 I don't even fucking know I'm sorry I know yeah you come to me for the sports stats look I, I but I've been told you I ain't no statistician these are salty thoughts. You want you want statistics? Here's another statistic. Just to prove that I'm so multi multifaceted. In the three first halves of the series, Julius Randle and RJ Barrett are shooting. 
they have missed, I believe, the numbers were 41 out of 48 shots. Something, something crazy, something, something crazy and unfathomable that you would that you would think would happen to a team. I swear, these motherfuckers are playing like they were the 10 seed and lucked up in the play on playing tournament and are playing the fucking Milwaukee Bucks. Philadelphia 76ers or dare I say the fucking Brooklyn Nets imagine if we were playing Brooklyn and we were performing the way we are right now I would have to hide my orange and, orange and blue for the amount of sh shit talking I've been talking about coming dealing with the fucking gentrification Nets who by the way lost tonight so that series is actually Two to one. Jason Tatum dropped 50, you know. But yeah. I mean, when I say everybody was cold, everybody was ice cold. And I ain't talking about fucking Trey Young. Quickly, two for eight. Burks, two for eight. Barrett, two for eight. Do you know who our, who our second leading scorer was besides Randall? Because at this point in time, he's a non-fucking factor. Do you know who our second leading scorer was? Nerlens Noel. Nerlens Noel had more points than Julius Randall in the first half. And he was only one for two for the field. I'm, 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 I'm venting right now because, as I've told y'all before, I was watching this shit at my shoe job. But for some reason, there was a there was a strange calm that came over me when I pressed that phone, pressed that ESPN app, and locked into the game. There was a very, 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 very strange calm that came over me. Almost like I was upset. Accepting the fact that, yeah, I don't think this shit's gonna this shit's gonna be be good tonight. But first first quarter, we was back and back and forth. But tell you the truth, if it wasn't for D Rose who dropped ten in the first quarter and Norens or Noel who dropped about ten in the first quarter on nine foul shots, we would have been losing by like double digit in the first quarter. They benched Peyton. Peyton did not get out one iota. One fucking minute. But the problem, the problem with not giving Peyton any type of burn is that when Rose has to take a breather, and you can tell today, if you look at his face, body language, he was spit. He was giving it his all, but he was spent. And kind of frustrated, like, damn, none of y'all motherfuckers are gonna get a basket? Like, I'm out here on fucking a half a knee. And I'm dropping 30 and giving these motherfuckers the business. Or at least trying. And y'all can't even fucking hit the side of the fucking backboard. Do you know in the second quarter, I believe they had at least two to three 
shot clock violations, and close to numerous others. What it boils down to is, unfortunately, yeah, they're just not ready for prime time. Not ready for prime time. And it's very disheartening. Could it be one thing if these, if... It would be one thing if it was a back and forth series and they're hitting us with their, with their hard blows and then we hit them with the body blow. And it's just like a roar of attrition. Like the first two games were. This game, it just seemed like we was holding on for dear life not to get blown out and then eventually we end up getting blown out. So, with all that being said, my sociopaths out there, well, should I say my Nick fan sociopaths out there. Yeah, I said sociopaths. I know it's a sociopath, but I said sociopath. So what? Fuck, leave me alone. The question is, do you bring Jules back? Matter of fact, yeah, he got one year left. But do you give him an extension? Do you go into the offseason thinking you just need one person? No, I think you need two. And being the fact that Jules, with the money that he makes, might be able to get you an upgrade. Like I said, I appreciate everything he's done for this franchise this season. But next season, if we're going to make, if we're going to take the next step. We're going to have to swap some parts. We're going to have to swap some parts. And Jews might be one of them. He has about... He has next game. He has Sunday. 1 o'clock. To get his shit together. Hopefully, you know, Lou Will... Takes his teammates out to Magic City. Go get some lemon pepper wings. Some Lou pepper wings. For Memorial Day weekend. And they come in Sunday hungover as a bitch. And we steal one. It's a damn shame. I'm, we're the highest seed and we're talking about stealing fucking victories. But that's what it's come to. You know. You know how I feel right now? I feel just like Coke's Tibbs. I ain't happy unless I'm miserable. And right now I'm real fucking miserable. So that should make me elated, right? Right? <laughs> All right, people. That brings us to the end of another edition of the Saucy Daughter Donnie Oo podcast. <sighs> it started out so great. I was playing Anita Baker, thinking about my wife, caught her in the rapture, and then it ended with me being saltier than ever. And trying to figure out where my New York Knicks are going to go for some offense. Eh. Hopefully by next week, either we'll be getting ready for game five, or should I say maybe game six, or the series, a.k.a. the Knicks season, will be over. But I must persist. I must push forward. I must continue. And continue I will.
right to these fucking plugs. Easytree.me slash world of Donnie Oo for everything Donnie Oo. So to go to Donnie Oo merch, this podcast that you're listening to, and various amounts of Donnie Oo slash Donnie Child music, all available at easytree.me slash world of Donnie Oo for all things Donnie Oo. I am in the process of unveiling a new design. When it comes to the t-shirts, sweaters, and all that other good shit. And uh, hopefully, if my schedule allows, I will unveil it in another two weeks. Next week will probably be a eulogy for my New York yeah, for my New York Knicks. I ain't talking about football, because look, we ain't football time. And uh, my Mets keep on chugging, chugging along. So, uh, yeah, that's probably what's going to be on tap. Who knows what's going to happen in the next seven days. But I know one thing that I do wish for each and every one of y'all listening to me right now. Is that the next seven days will be the next best seven days of the rest of your life. At least until next week. Until you hear my salty ass voice I could tell I'm fucking about to go on a tangent and uh, y'all already know what that means when I'm about to go on a tangent that means I gotta cut this shit short and get out while the getting is good and I will bid y'all do goodbye bye